Hey everyone, Mr. Toast here. Just a quick reminder that you can watch the podcast live and interact with us and other viewers on twitch.tv slash convictedtoast. I also wanted to mention that we have a Discord server where you can ask us questions and make suggestions about the podcast. Link in the description. Enjoy the episode. Hey, hello everybody, welcome back to Mixed Media with Mr. Rager and Mr. Toast. Uh, I'm your host, Mr. Toast, and joining me as always is Mr. Rager, or Mikey as we like to call him. I prefer Mr. Toast. <laughs> that's not you, though. That's me. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I prefer it, so... Oh, fair enough. Um, tonight, we're going to be talking about some uh, war comedies. Um, <clears throat> we kind of came about the idea. Um, we were like, what should we do for the next episode? And we talked about you know comedy throughout the decades, and then it kind of spiraled because we talked about how we had recently... You know, we wanted to watch The Great Dictator. Um, starring Charlie Chaplin, written and directed by Charlie Chaplin even. And um, then we thought, well, we recently watched Dr. Strangelove, and it kind of rolled into what if we did uh, comedy movies surrounding war. Um, and some of the movies that we watched, yes, there is, there is war, which is discussed. However, it is not quite your, your war comedy. You know, it was, it's really hard to find a war comedy about Iraq. Yeah, it, very, it really is. And I know a lot of people would be like, well, this it just happened. But here's the thing. The Great Dictator came out the year after it happened, like World War II broke out. Yeah. Dr. Strangelove came out in the middle of the Cold War. MASH was a little bit after Korea. Uh, the Men Who Stare at Goats, <laughs> uh, which is the... <laughs> As you can well, see, it was hard to find a movie about Iraq. It was. It really was. We we both like we're throwing ideas around, and we're like, "What do we even talk about for this like topic?" So I, we literally kicked around what Tropic Thunder. Uh, Tropic Thunder was one that we had thought about. We thought about War Dogs briefly, but I'm not a huge fan yeah. of that movie. And then we talked about Team America, which in hindsight yeah, probably America. should have watched Team America. <laughs> Team America instead of one that might surprise you too that we'll talk about. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil which one that we didn't really care for. It's not the men who stare at goats. That one was actually kind of funny. It was actually kind of good. Yeah, I I, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to start uh, off, uh, we're doing this in uh, war order. War order. Okay, so we're starting off with the Great Dictator. Yeah. So for war order, we're doing World War Two, Korea. Right, yeah, Cold War, and then uh, kind of Iraq. Kind, just sort of a little bit. It's in Iraq, yeah. and there is military personnel. Yeah. I mean, yeah, let's just... <laughs> let's just let's just uh, let's let's stop beating around the bush and get into this. <laughs> yeah, let's just get right into this. Um, so uh, the Great Dictator, I would say. Well, I guess we'll show it on the tier ranking, but I'd say it's probably my second favorite of the four that we're covering. Okay. What do you? How do you feel about that? Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I don't know. It's for me. It's neck and neck with Strange Love. So. Yeah. See, these are the two. Strange Love and The Great Dictator are the two very famous movies that are kind of criticizing war in a lot of ways yeah i think that's a, a thing that we're gonna kind of notice like 
is as we watch the movies change like it kind of it's being an introspect on like the wars that that you know it's talking about but it's also like you know it's not shying away from it but it's also still being a comedy whereas when we get later on um it's harder to really have like that let's talk about the real world situation and it's more about let's be a funny movie yeah yeah and i would say the first thing i want to talk about with the great dictator is i i we talked about how we were kind of wanting to veer away from just discussing plot with these and kind of talk about our thoughts on these four movies of course we'll be touching into the plot but kind of just touching on them and uh talking about their impact and their meaning um and what i wanted to start off with with the great dictator was how there are aspects of this movie that on one hand it seems like they aged really poorly yeah but then on the other hand it's kind of i don't want to sympathetic or telling that these things did age badly um there are some scenes and for those who don't know the great dictator is a charlie chaplin movie from 1940 uh where he plays pretty much hitler it the, the character's name is not hitler what is it Hinkler, uh, henkel isn't it henkel yeah it's it's henkel and uh he plays a barber as well a jewish barber that's kind of you get to see both sides of uh Germany and I just want to say this is this came out over a full year before we were involved. Yeah. In World War II and something that discuss disgusts me is when I was researching this film for the podcast Charlie Chaplin was heavily criticized by Americans for it. I didn't know that. And yeah, I I forgot to mention that too. I was doing some research for the podcast some things I wanted to bring up and I I saw that he was criticized by Americans for his portrayal of Germany in the movie. Hmm. Interesting. Critic- yeah, and we would be at war with that country within a year. Yeah. But that's the thing. That's something that like you're like, huh, it ages bad, but at the same time, it it's very telling that it aged that way. Like there was a couple of scenes where it's it's a goofy movie. Uh it, it's meant to be silly comedy, except for a speech that we will definitely definitely yeah, talk yeah. about um it, it's pretty goofy but the nazis or i can't remember what they're called in this they have like a weird symbol but um oh yeah instead of uh a swastika it is two x's yeah that's what it is and it's um they're they're goofy like they show them being abusive towards the jews and everything in germany but like a lot of it's played for laughs there's this one in particular, this one scene. And I remember talking to Keegan about it while we were watching the movie. Um, this woman's a, carrying It's a fourth her... wall break. Wait, what do you... What, I think, another... Are we talking about different things? No, sorry, it's not a fourth wall break, but it is. Uh, go ahead. Okay, this girl's carrying these groceries. These Germans stop her, these Nazis. They start taking all of her groceries, they start pelting her with them, and they're mocking her and everything, and they walk away. And it's, like, meant to be silly. Like, they're trying to be silly. That's what the whole thing is. Charlie Chaplin is trying to show how silly this all is. And But Charlie Chaplin, when he made the movie in 1940, had no idea what would happen in the next four years. Yeah. 
so we watched that scene and we stopped and we were like oh man that's really bad because we have this like there's there's a great comedy going on in this movie we laughed plenty of times across the the film yeah um and we like there are moments when you like you stop and you know there's a little bit of downtime a little bit of a lull in the movie and you think this is like it, like this is yeah this is funny this is a good time but you think about the real world implications and what truly happened um in the five years after this movie released and it's it hits it hits very hard yeah it it 100 percent does and when everything is put into context like that well we know looking back on a movie like this it just it breaks your heart yeah. especially because of his awareness of it and him trying to alert everyone to what is happening over there yeah you know and then him being he gets criticized for it i'm pretty sure if i read it correctly and let me fact check that i'm pretty sure he left the country I think is what I I had read. We need a Jamie, like Joe Rogan to pull. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so whenever that movie came out, he was accused of communist sympathies, and some members of the press and public were scandalized by his involvement in a paternity suit and marriages to much younger women. So the FBI opened an investigation on him, and Chaplin was forced to leave the U.S. and settle in Switzerland. Wow. That's, that's crazy. That's wild. Yeah. That's that's fucked up. That is That is just that's crazy to think about, really. I get it though, cuz well, here's the thing. I mean, it's a that very movie... different very different climate and culture back then. Oh, well, well, what I was going to say is this too. I feel like if after 2001 you made a movie that was a comedy like The Great Dictator, uh, criticizing our involvement in it. It would, you, it, you know, it would reap the same result because at time, at that time when he released this, the U.S. and Germany were still allies. Yeah, it was a year before war would be declared. Yeah, so <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, it, it, it's it's crazy, but it's true how things like that can happen. Uh. Charlie Chaplin, um, in this movie, like I was saying, he gives two performances. They are both fantastic. Um, we start off in World War One, which is really fun. Um, I didn't expect it to start there. Yeah, it's, it's in 1918, <laughs> um, like right before the war ends. Yeah, and um, we see the uh, the barber played by Charlie Chaplin, and we meet his character, and then later on we meet Henkel. And Hinkle is kind of a buffoon in this. It's very much reminiscent of like the Looney Tunes cartoons that would come out in a few years mocking uh, Hitler in the war. Uh, <laughs> it's very of that of that same attitude is Charlie Chaplin's performances. Uh, what's his first name? It is it something Hinkle? I can't remember what it is. Can't remember. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember either. But the the World War One scenes are very fun. Like, I'd say that a, a large majority of like the comedy usually comes out of the scenes with um with the with the barber. Yeah, we get this. Uh, There's actually a really great scene uh, to start with where they're 
firing this artillery, shell flies out of it and just lands like ten feet in front of the gun. <laughs> and they're like, "Let me go see if it's armed." And you see the thing just starts spinning around him and then like starts sparking. <laughs> Dude, great it, it was it was such such a fun movie, and it really. I don't think it was forceful, like for the time it could, it should have been forceful. You know what I mean? I'm not saying yeah. that, but I'm saying like it comes across as pretty easy going with its message too. It delivers its message really well, but it doesn't like. It doesn't feel like it's like forcing it down your throat per se. Yeah, like trying to get you to believe something. Yeah, but it does a really damn good job on alerting the world to what's going on. It feels like it's more for awareness than it is to uh, really be like critical. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, this movie was nominated for five Academy Awards. I don't think it won any of them. I know it was nominated for five of them. Uh, Charlie Chaplin would win Best Actor at the National Board of Review Awards and the New York Film Critics Circle Awards. Uh, this film was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the United States National Film Registry. As being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, it was inducted in 1997, and in 2000, the American Film Institute ranked uh, the film number 37 in its 100 years, 100 laughs list. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's gotten quite a bit of uh, uh, praise over the years. And just to mention, because um, we've talked about this before, but we want to start mentioning where we watch the media that we talk about on the, on the uh, podcast here. And um, for The Great Dictator, we watch this one on YouTube for free. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, somebody had uh, uploaded it to YouTube. I do believe it is streaming on... Max. Is it Max? It's on Max. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's on Max currently. Uh, let's talk about the speech. I want you, yeah. to, I want you to start this because you have yeah. a very good reaction to it. So they... Um, you know, some things go down throughout the story and um, our Jewish barber ends up uh, being arrested and um in a in that time span you know he makes an escape and because you know he looks a lot like uh like Henkel he's you know disguised as a as a um officer and they you know everybody starts mistaking him thinking that he's Henkel they end up on this big stage and somebody looks at to him and says you have to speak and he gets up on the stage and delivers this absolutely amazing speech and Honestly, when we looked into this movie, neither of us knew that this speech was in it. So it comes out of like left field and it gives such a, an amazing message that still has relevance today. Um, and I like we were watching and I, I cried, so uh, it was yeah. phenomenal. I started to tear up as well. It, it was really, really well spoken by Chaplin in, in a movie where you don't really, like you said, you don't really expect a speech like that. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it is phenomenal. I, I just, one of my favorite parts of the speech is when he says he is flying into the rainbow, into the light of hope, into the future, the glorious future that belongs to you, to me, and to all of us. And the um, 
hope for the future is not, you know, controlled by one man or many men. It is in all men. That is another good line. Yeah, I the speech at the end of this at the end of this movie. It is so so well written. Uh, in uh, his autobiography in 1964, uh, Charlie Chaplin, he would say that uh, he couldn't have made the movie if he would have known about what was really going on in the concentration camps at the time. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, all over this thing. He directed it, he wrote it, he produced it, and he starred in it in two different roles. I do believe he also helped out with some of the music. Yeah. He uh he did the writer director actor thing before Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Tarantino's never been in a in a leading role in a movie that he directed because he wrote from Dust Till Dawn. But yeah, he didn't but he he wasn't even really like like he was a lead for the majority of the movie, but not the whole movie. I've never seen it. Okay, <laughs> you just spoiled it for me. I, uh, my bad. My bad. Anyway, uh, from dusk till dawn, this? we're gonna cover that next week. <laughs> <laughs> I I guess I know what happens. So might as well cover it right now. Yeah, yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, I'm trying to think of what else I wanted to uh, talk about in this. Oh, the representation of the ghetto I think was super important to include in this movie. Um, again, this is before the United States really caught a lot of wind. Of what was happening, and the ones that did kind of know were pretending that they didn't know. Uh, I just thought it was a really nice detail to kind of show that and show that this is happening. Uh, and we do see concentration camps in this. And of course, as we were just talking about, Charlie Chaplin did not know the extent of the concentration camps yet because the final solution wouldn't have been enacted yet. And um, most of the world would uh, not be aware of that in 1940. Uh, oh, I really liked uh, uh, Jack Oakey in this. He played uh, Napolini. Oh, right. I completely forgot. Um, that's it's honestly that's great. Um, so he gets introduced into the film probably about halfway through. Yeah, about there. And uh, it's so him and Hankel are having this whole thing, uh, where like Hankel is trying to you know enforce himself as a superior over him. Uh, and they're like coming up with all these psychologies and stuff to, to do that. So like they'll have it so that he has to walk all the way across the room to the desk. And uh, then like he has to sit down and the chair is lower than Hankel. So he has to look up at him, stuff like that. <laughs> and they're like, all right, he's coming in. He comes in through the back door, which is right <laughs> next to the desk. And then the chair is probably about like, so this was, if this is the floor. The chair is about right here. <laughs> <laughs> and he's yeah, just like i'm not sitting there I'll, I'll stand and he sits on the desk his performance is so good and he just kind of comes out of nowhere too because yeah. you don't expect uh somebody you know masquerading as mussolini to show up halfway yeah. through the movie um but i really like how they do all of that stuff and again um the final speech if you guys you know don't want to check out the movie i recommend you check out the movie but you don't want to watch the movie the speech is like four or five minutes long it's on youtube the movie's on youtube too but if you just want to see the speech i heavily heavily recommend it it is it is something that is extremely relevant today 
it, uh, every single line spoken in that um, in that speech is still relevant. Yeah. Um. So, let's pull this up before we get to our next one. We get to put this on our handy dandy podcast tier list. Like so, it's a uh, handy dandy, uh, like we're in lose or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, what is the one? Mickey Mouse's Clubhouse. Oh uh, yeah, the mouse tools. Yes, my mouse tools. I am gonna heavily, heavily vote Great Dictator for us tier. Okay, I, I can agree. Honest okay. for that speech alone, it's an A, and then you have the comedy and story to back that shit up. So, yeah, that's very true. It is, it is an easy S tier. Let's move on to one that's not an easy S tier. Uh, so this is uh, the one that I said that maybe not as many people will be shocked about this as I think because uh, I've been doing some research. Okay. Uh, for this episode. Ah, you and, did research uh, after we watched it and had adverse reactions to it. <laughs> I I agree with the research because oh, yeah. I me and Keegan uh felt kind of funny after watching this. Yeah. Uh let's stop beating around the bush. We watched Robert Altman's nineteen seventy film MASH. Uh this is the Korean War in our war timeline. For those of you that have like the war timeline written down on a piece of paper and are like filling it in as we go, <laughs> making notes, mashes yeah. Korea. Yeah, if you're taking notes on it, maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe a professor in like Bulgaria is using this or something for their film class. Um, uh, to oh, go ahead. just to just to iterate so nobody gets us twisted, the TV show is pretty good. Yeah, from what I've seen from the TV show, it's it's fine. It's yeah. very very different than the it, it is very very this movie different. is very very different than the tv show the tv show is like yeah i can sit down and just watch this and it's fine and there's i'm not gonna you know have a adverse reaction and think that uh there's something wrong with people <laughs> yeah uh this has to put it as politely as i can this is aged like milk uh it, i'd say it's aged worse than milk pretty bad it's well no no no, no, no. like this ca- this was 1970 yeah so that's 53 years of spoiled milk in that container yeah they just mixed it with paint paint thinner yeah honestly <laughs> uh i feel like this is gonna be 20 minutes of us talking on about this movie? All of the, yeah talking <laughs> about all the problems it has let's talk about some of the positives the theme. Yeah. You have you cannot th- talk about MASH without mentioning Painless. Yes. Uh one of the best songs in my opinion ever written. Uh what's funny is it was actually a fourteen year old boy that wrote it for the movie. He got paid like nothing for it. He elected to keep all royalties for his song. They asked him to create the dumbest song possible, was their exact words. He wrote Suicide is Painless. They put it in the movie. They used it for the TV show. Kid made like 140 million dollars over the last like 40 years because Mash's the TV show is syndicated still on TV very heavily. And the fact that that uh that child was the son of Robert Alden and it made infinitely more money than he did. 
Uh, off of this movie, yes. Yeah. Off of the MASH uh, thing. I think Robert Altman did song. make... I think he did end up making more because I think he had... Because it would always say based on the characters in the That's film true. by... That's true. Well, MASH was based on a book, too, so they could just say it's a different... I don't know. That's interesting. I wonder that's if the book is aged any better than the movie. <laughs> I don't know. I can't tell if this is Robert Altman being a creep or if the book is a creep. Yeah. Um. So MASH stands for Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. We Googled it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we totally knew that one off the top of our heads. What are you talking about, Michael? <laughs> it's during the Korean War. Stars Donald Sutherland, Tom Skerritt. Elliot Gould, Sally Kellerman, as Hot Lips. Let me just uh, put that out there right now. That's right. You heard me correctly. No need to adjust your speaker. There's a character in this that all of the males refer to as Hot Lips. I'm already getting mad. And she, 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 she's like an, a major, so she's above them in the in the army. Yep. It doesn't matter. And it's not like funny. It's not like me being like, oh, you know, I. This is really, really creepy. For the yeah. first like hour of the movie, all of the men just pretty much sexually assault her until she becomes a completely like brain dead bimbo in the last forty five minutes. And I'm not exact. That is literally what happens in the movie. Yeah. And I was sitting there and I was like, normally I'm not the type of person to be like, okay, this is aged bad. But there was a couple of scenes with her that I was like, okay, this has aged really, really, poorly. really poorly. Yeah. Um, a lot of the dialogue has also aged very poorly. Yep. Yep. Um, there is a character that neither one of us can actually say the name of on Twitch. Yep. It is a, uh, it is any a, of our platforms. it is a racial slur. Um, yeah. Uh, it's this African American, uh, he, I, what, um, what branch is he in? I forget. I, he's, I, he's in mash. Yeah, well, he would be army. I just yeah, yeah. thought he had like some kind of. I don't know, but um, yeah, he is just referred to as a racial slur, and they're like, "Oh, is that name okay with you? You just call me whatever you want to." Wow, yeah. um, there is a character. I can't remember the character's name, but he like thinks that he might be a homosexual. He thinks he might yeah. be gay. And yeah, he goes he into this refers room. refers to himself okay. as what, like a fairy, like a fairy yeah. something or other? Yeah, something like that. And uh, it it's just, and then he says, okay, I'm just going to kill myself. Yep. And they're like, huh? Okay, sure, go ahead. So they have this whole thing. They bring the song back. The only other time I believe non-instrumentally it's used in the movie yeah it only it plays at the beginning instrumentally for the title sequence and after that they do vocals um for his um what do you even call it they also reference the last supper (laughs) the before the scene funeral yeah yeah so for us we've never seen this movie so we weren't sure where it was going to go how dark it was going to get they put this guy that said, oh, I'm going to kill myself because I think I'm gay, which that is very dated. Yeah. And sadly, there are a lot of uh, LGBTQ uh, people in the country that do struggle with that. And if you do struggle with that, uh, please get some help. You are loved. People around you love you. I just need to say that. Uh, but uh, 
at this time, that is something that would be said. So I'm like, okay, that aged bad, but this is a 1970 movie meant to take place in the 50s. Okay. But then they put him in the casket, and to me and Keegan, who have never seen this before, were kind of stunned. We're not laughing. We're sitting here speechless. We, we have no idea what's coming up next. Yeah, they, he takes like a he takes a pill. That's it. Like they talk about this black pill that like it worked for Hitler and all that yada yada. Yeah, it's probably cyanide, right? Yeah, because <laughs> I think that's what Hitler used. But so so he takes this pill, and me and Keegan are like, "Oh my god, he's actually gonna he's actually gonna do it." And he's laying in the thing, and then these two guys are singing the song "Suicide is Painless" while he's in the casket. People are coming up to him, like the casket, dropping things in it, like little gifts for him. And I'm sitting here like, what the fuck is happening? Like, is he actually going to just, is one this of the, the end? One of the characters looks him in the face and says, this is exactly how I'm going to remember you. Yeah. I was, <laughs> like, <just> like, <laughs> I was just like, dude. And like, there's a couple moments during this scene that kind of got like a little bit of a chuckle out of me, but nothing... It was really fucked up, and then they carry the casket away, and you're like, that dude just died. They just gave him the tool to kill himself, all sat around, watched him kill himself, and carried him away. I was like, are you serious? He doesn't actually die. It it gets worse, if you can believe that. Yeah. So they put him in a room. Hawkeye, uh, played by Donald Sutherland, and I will say, Donald Sutherland is such a great actor. Same with Elliot Gould. They were just given really creepy ass fucking dialogue. Yeah, in this movie. yeah, very creepy dialogue. But they're both fantastic actors, and they do act their ass off in this. I don't want this to be a. I love both of those actors. Um, so Hawkeye, played by Donald Sutherland, he comes in and he's like, "I know what he needs. He needs to get laid." And he goes and gets this girl that he's romantically involved with. He's like, eh, "I need you to screw him like a pimp." Oh, she's also cheating on her husband. Yeah, she's also cheating on her husband. And he's like a pimp. He's like, I need you to screw him. And she's like, uh, I don't want to. He's like, I need you to do it. He needs this. She's just like, okay. And then he leaves. And I'm just like, yep. dude, what the fuck and then, is this? Movie? Then the dude shows up in the mess the next morning and he's like, look, guys. Like, nothing fucking happened. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I feel better. Yeah. It's, it's so. And then that also implies that you can cure homosexuality, which is also something that's very problematic to say. Uh, yeah, this whole sequence aged very poorly. Um, Let's talk about Hot Lips. Yeah, yeah. And how that aged. Oh, uh, exceptionally, exceptionally. Uh, I don't even know where to start. I I don't either. It, it's literally constant for the first hour of the movie. It's just yeah. nothing but harassment towards this poor woman who is above them i need to stress that she is a major they are officers and they are bullying her and none of the superiors are doing anything about it and at some points when the movie started and there was some harassment i was like okay maybe altman's being really smart here maybe he's showcasing uh, harassment and abuse before a lot of directors would even think about putting something like that in yeah. the movie i was, was like if he's criticizing the Korean War like this, I was like, that's a bold move. No, he's just cr- a fucking creep in this for some reason. 
Yeah. There's no lesson to be learned. Nobody gets any consequences for any of their actions. And like I said, hot lips, I'm saying quotation marks for audio listeners. Um, She literally gets no character. She doesn't get any kind of retribution for the things that are happening. She literally gets degraded. Like she goes from being like a character with these strong morals to head empty, no thought, like bimbo by the end of the movie. Yep. Yep, she just becomes a total, complete waste of a character. And I just, oh my god, some of these scenes, like the scene where she's in the shower and they rip the whole wall of the fucking tent off, and they have everybody in the army, women, men, everybody sitting there in chairs watching the tent go up. And she's just running away screaming and crying. I meant to sit here and laugh at that? Like, that's funny? Yeah. That's hilarious. And she literally... fantastic joke she literally runs into the commanding officer's tent and is like you can't run this like this it's like a boys club or something the camera cuts to the commanding officer with a woman in bed next to him and he's like what am i to do about it yep uh (laughs) yep it's uh, and then the whole like reason that she gets the nickname hot lips is terrible too uh because they Basically, she gets romantically involved with this character um, who, at the beginning of the movie, Hawkeye and... What's the other guy's name? Trapper. Trapper. Um, Trapper and Hawkeye are basically like, hey, get this guy out of her tent. He keeps like reading the Bible. <laughs> oh, you're talking about Robert Duvall's character. Yeah. Um, and they're, uh, So basically, Duvall's character... And I can't remember the actual actress's name. Um, they Sally basically, Kellerman. yeah, uh, she gets involved and they're like, we're going to like send this letter in, whatever. They get romantically involved and they have uh, radar take a, uh, take a microphone and slide it into their tent. And they're listening in on them, basically getting it on. And then they play it over the intercom system for the entire camp. You got Swifty in the chat saying hot lips. I'm dead. That's what I'm saying. It is bad. It is bad. I did not expect this movie to talk like this. There's also a lot of the a lot of the pacing for this movie is very strange. Um, Like there was literally a scene when they first introduced her character, um, and like it cuts away to them in the middle of surgery while there's still dialogue playing over from their conversation. Mike and I thought that the like the DVD that we were watching it on fucked up. It didn't. It it just did that. It's just I, edited like that. I will say that is one part of the movie that I actually did enjoy how it aged. Yeah. I kind of like the dialogue playing over a different scene. I just wasn't ready for that. Yeah, it came out like, of nowhere. It didn't nowhere. click in my brain, but I was like, he's doing some weird things in this movie. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. Uh he's got enough bad things that have aged in this movie, but I will praise him for that. That is he has some cool editing. Uh there are some pieces of the editing later on that I don't think work particularly well. Uh but there are a lot of things that Altman does in this that look really good. Yeah. Um, um So I was just gonna say part of this movie is in Korea during the Korean War. Part of this movie is in Japan. And then part of the movie is at a football game. And I want to say... <laughs> a football game in Korea. <laughs> a football game in Korea. I like the, or the Korean football section more than I like the Japanese section. Yeah. 
the Japanese section, it, it all comes out of nowhere. And this is why, like, I do think that, like, the way that this movie's paced definitely works better for a TV show than it does for a movie. Because, like, it's like we're going through, like, five or six different subplots. Like, if I were yeah, to... Yeah, like, we're if, going through, like, watching, like, five episodes. Yeah, like, if I were to watch, like, an episode and be like, okay, and then, like, it cuts, and it doesn't tell you that it's cutting to something different. Something different just starts. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so hard to explain. I, I, I like the football sequence. I think it works for the most part. I Again, it's so hard to say I like a scene in this because then you have them yelling the one character's name, who's her, his name is literally a slur, and then you have Hot Lips acting like a bimbo cheerleader, like jumping up and down, and, and uh, it's just, it's terrible. I will say there is a, a pretty decent joke that comes out of the, the Japan section, which is um, they're, where they have the helicopters land to bring wounded soldiers in. They're sitting there playing golf, and then the helicopter lands, and they're like, should really stop landing these things where we play golf. <laughs> yeah there there are a couple good jokes that i will say yeah um but a, a majority of this movie now just comes across as so unnecessarily creepy yeah um yeah i i don't know it it did not age very well at all and again this isn't a reflection on the television series i have not seen it yeah um i want to talk a little bit about the research i did okay from the University of Letterboxd. The University uh, of Letterboxd. Well, you know how they say you got to study from a university? This is the University of Letterboxd. <laughs> so I got I got on Letterboxd, and I wanted to see what you, the people, uh, think about MASH. So I was scrolling around and looking at reviews on Letterboxd, and I started to notice a trend. A lot of them were low. And a lot lower than they would have been probably 20 or 30 years ago. Something else I found out before I uh, completely dive into the letterbox thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, MASH was put on lists for like... Uh, the top like 100 movies, American yes. movies of all time. Yes, the AFI. And they do them every so many years. They'll come up with a list and they'll do whatever. They just had another one recently. MASH was on it. They were on it again. They were on it again. And then it stopped. So at a certain point... Do you know what year it stopped? 2007 was the last time they were voted in. I don't know when AFI did their next list... Uh, hmm. Let me look here. I'm pretty sure AFI did one last year. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure, but... Yeah. Basically, we, at one point, they, it was praised as one of the top 100 movies in America of all time, and it has fallen off of that list in recent years. I don't know how recent. Yeah. Uh, It was also deemed culturally significant by the Library of Congress in 1996 and selected for preservation. In the United States Film Registry, it was nominated for, I believe, five Academy Awards. Yes, five Academy Awards. It uh, won one for Best Screenplay based on material from another medium, so it was an adaptation. 
I just don't know if the uh, the book was like this. Um, in a retrospective review for the Chicago Reader, Jonathan Rosenbaum noted that the film helped launch the careers of Elliot Gould, Donald Sutherland, Sally Kellerman, Robert Duvall, and subsequent Altman regulars like uh, these other guys. Blah, 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 blah. But the misogyny and cruelty behind many of the gags are as striking as the black comedy and the original use of overlapping dialogue. This is still watchable for the verve of the ensemble acting and direction, but some of the craziness leaves a sour aftertaste. Yeah. Written in The Guardian for the film's 50th anniversary, Noah Gattel also criticized it for having a deep and unexamined misogyny, noting that the treatment of the... I can't even say I can't even pronounce her last name because I don't remember them even saying it in the movie. Uh, her character, in particular, anticipated such later. Uh, uh, wait, oh, they're talking about how this was the first of those type of comedies, like Porky's, Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, you know what I mean to use women like that. And they were talking about how this one kind of made it made it okay because this movie was. Um, a pretty big deal when it came out. It was the first uh, motion picture, like made like mainstream motion picture to use uh, fuck in a film. I, yeah. I did look it up after we had talked about it, and there was a couple um, that were, it was used before, but they're really underground, nothing like this. This is the first like big, big movie to yeah. say fuck in it. They don't even, they use it one time and it's during the football section. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they actually got away uh, with a PG rating, I think they cut out the shower scene and the F word. Yeah. Um, and then I think it was it also uh, got rid of the song. Huh. But um, that was when it came out, and they of course uh, changed it, and it got an R rating, which it has now. It's got an R rating. Yeah, I think one of the most wild things too, um, is. During the football section, so basically in that football section, it's uh, um, like the surgeons against like the the soldiers. That's like their right. their teams. The surgeons cheat by tackling like the army's star player, <laughs> cleansing part of his arm, and then injecting him with uh, we don't know what med- what medicine it was. They injected him with something and drugged him and got him out of the ma- out of the game. I kind of liked that part a little bit. It was kind of funny. That was just a very silly. I, I don't it's, think it was very mean spirit. No, it, it wasn't. But at the same time, it's just like it, it comes out of nowhere because you see like one of the players gets the needle and they have it like they're holding on to it, and then they dogpile him in the end zone, and then you just it just cuts to a quick scene where you just see the dude's uh, like the inner part of the dude's elbow, then wipe it re- clean really quick with an alcohol swab, and then just inject him. <laughs> And it's like, oh, fuck, where did that come from? Like, that wasn't like... They were trying to rig the bets, too, for the game, so... I wonder... What do you think Roger Ebert thought of MASH? I don't know. Let's find out. But I feel like we should wrap up on MASH here soon, because we've been going on it for a minute. (laughs) Has that really been that long? That's 46. That's not too, too bad. I'm just curious as to how other people. Well, shit, he wrote the review in 1970 when it came out, so he probably wouldn't have been able to see how badly it aged. 
let's I guess let's throw Mash on the uh, the tier list. Let me come over here. See what we see what we got here. <laughs> Gotta pull it up. There we go. Uh, Twitchy says, to be honest, if I cared to get my hands on the TV show version, I would honestly watch it. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've heard good things about the show, and I watched the uh, occasional episode with my grandfather back in the day. I'm I'm feeling uh, C. Yeah, I can agree with that. Like there are C. there's a handful of moments that like there's a, some decent jokes in there. <laughs> um, so like it's not the absolute worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I um. I enjoyed it when I would see it. My stepfather would watch it, and I didn't quite understand it until I was a little older. Yeah, there's a lot of like uh, channels like that MeTV that play a lot of. Uh... I play like like marathons of it on MeTV sometimes. Like absolutely, yeah, they like they'll play it for like three days shows. straight. Speaking of older shows, uh, real quick, we'll plug it at the end. But our first episode covering the Twilight Zone is out in ten days. On January 24th, we will be covering the first half of season one of The Twilight Zone. It's, uh, I don't know if we, did we mention it before? I think we mentioned it last podcast, but yeah, we're going to be looking at doing um, Twilight Zone, kind of looking in um, a retrospect as to how, like, The Twilight Zone uh, kind of uh, looks at, like, the real world, real world implications in time uh, of the period. Yeah, some of the things that inspired it, we'll get more into it when we get to the the Twilight Zone, but we're going to be looking at some real-life inspiration and some themes that the uh, the Twilight Zone had. Yep. Uh, so, uh, wait, we got one chat. Oh, the Twilight Zone is sick. Yeah, Twilight Zone, uh, the Twilight Zone is dope. I'm very excited to cover that. Uh, oh, yeah. The, um, Dr. Strange Love, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. That is uh, I love the title of the movie just because, like, most people, you know, it's just Doctor Strange Love, but the fact that its title goes on that long is great. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Strange Love, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Uh, another movie very similar to The Great Di- Dictator in a lot of aspects. We have, uh, this time, we have uh, Peter Sellers playing three different characters. He plays the president of the United States, a British army officer named Mandrake, and the mysterious Dr. Strangelove. Are you sure he wasn't uh, he wasn't Royal Air Force? Was he Royal I said British, didn't I? Uh I think I think you said army. Like British army. Oh, well it's it's the same. Yeah, yeah. It's he's in he's the, in the, he's British, in the British military. Yeah, he's in the British military. Um the movie, um, I think, has aged excellently. Yeah, it's um, uh, I I like first time I watched it was last month. Um, so for hindsight, we watched this one back in December, like not intending to do it for the podcast at all. Um, but then like when we started talking about what we wanted to do for the this podcast, like it came back in because it's like we watched it recently. We might as well throw it on the list. Yeah, and uh, it works really well with the theme. Uh, that we were kind of going forward for this episode. 
this is probably a one of the five most important films I think of all time. I'm not gonna say it's one of the five greatest films, but it's one of the most important. It's yeah. up there with something like Schindler's List, and I would say The Great Dictator as well. Um, this movie takes place during the Cold War, so there you go. If you're taking notes, Doctor Strangelove, Cold War. Yep, get your uh, timelines out, everybody. Write it down. <laughs> yeah, get your timeline out. Write it down. Uh, so it takes place during the Cold War. Uh, this U.S. Army general by the name of Ripper uh, gets really pissy. He's like, let's just end this. Let's just end this. Let's make this a hot war real quick. So he finds a loophole in the U.S. government to shut down all communication with his army base, and he launches fighters over towards Russia carrying nuclear bombs, and his plan is to make the president commit into a full-blown attack before the Russians can even do a counteroffensive. Meanwhile, we get these scenes um, in the war room of the White House with the president trying to navigate this situation, and we also get some, some scenes in the cockpit of the planes, which are really fun. This movie, for being... It came out in, what, 64? 62. 62? Let me check. 64 for it coming out 60 years ago right yeah. or would it be 80 uh no it's 60, 60. i'm stupid um it, like it'll be 60 this year for for it being 60 years old it aged so well it, it, not just the themes and what the film is trying to say but almost every joke in this movie lands and yeah. it lands really well um, there are a lot of really, really uh, great quotable lines in this. Gentlemen, there's no fighting in the war room. Yep, that's, that's a great a, line. That's one of my favorite ones. I was going to reference that one. Uh, Dimitri, I'm just as upset as you are. <laughs> that's another really good that one. That whole speech is great. Yeah, the, the, the entire speech is phenomenal. Um, so I, I, this is what I do want to talk about the plot a little bit just because yeah. I love how ridiculous this this film is. So in our first, uh, the first thing that we've got going on here is you've got General Ripper, and he gives this monologue to Colonel Mandrake, paid, played by Peter Sellers, and it, it, it is the most ridiculous thing. It's like his reasoning for doing this. He was like, Mandrake, do you know that I only drink pure rainwater and grain alcohol? And he's like, no, sir, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know that. And he's like. Yeah, so I can preserve my precious bodily fluids. He starts like propagating a conspiracy theory about putting fluoride in the water. Yep. And that he won't let anyone have his precious bodily fluids. He he would never lay with a woman and all of this stuff. Like he's like, they cannot have my precious bodily fluids, Mandrake. He's just like completely lost yeah. his mind. The craziest thing about this is that there are still people that are like they right in the water. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like that conspiracy hasn't gone anywhere. It's still around. <laughs> well, there's... Oh, my God. We could get into it, but there's all kinds of shit. But Ripper, he, he's insane. He's prepared to die for his cause. He's like, this is what I have to do. And he's smoking these big, like, dickhead cigars. Yep. And then you've got the war room. And Peter Sellers, again, he's playing the president. He's really funny. Uh, he calls the Russian president. He's talking to him about the situation. He, yeah, now, I, Dimitri, have a, I have I, the speech saved. Give me one moment. I'm going to read okay. it off. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, he, so basically he calls you him. You have the floor. Yeah, he calls him. 
uh, he's, he's like, now then, Dimitri, you know how we've always talked about the possibility of something going wrong with the bomb? The bomb, Dimitri. The hydrogen bomb? Well, now what happened is, one of our base <laughs> commanders, he had a sort of, well, he went a little funny in the head, you know? Just a little funny, and, uh, he went and did a silly thing. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to give you the full floor for that. For audio <laughs> listeners, I turned my camera off. I wanted to. I love that. Now, Dimitri, I'm just as upset as you are. <laughs> no, I I know you're upset too, Dimitri. I'm just saying that I'm upset as well. And they're just doing this whole thing. Meanwhile, there's nuclear bombs heading for Dimitri's fucking country. So they they have this um. Uh, he's a um. God, what do you call them? Ambassador from. Oh Russia. yeah, yeah. And he's in the war room with them. And they start fucking fighting. And that's when you get the other great line in the movie. Gentlemen, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Which is a great line. And they're accusing each other of espionage. While they're in the situation, they're still at each other's throats. Showing that's one of the, the the geniuses of this comedy is they never learn. They don't learn shit. Yeah, and we'll talk they, about that when we get to the ending. Literally, like, they're going through the whole thing of, hey, somebody fucked up. Your country's about to get nuked, and they're still, like, trying to do, like, this kind of, like, spy espionage thing, and it's like, your country's about to blow up, dude. You might want to, like, help us out. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, it's crazy. So, you have them going back and forth. They're trying to figure out what they, what they could do. They send army in there, and, uh, Mandrake's like, so, um, <laughs> maybe you could give me the code. And uh, he's like, okay, Mandrake. He puts a towel on. Really smart move. He goes into the bathroom and he shoots himself. And it looks like the British officer did it. Because who would shoot themselves while they're shaving? Like in the middle of shaving, he'd put like shaving cream on his face. Yeah. So Mandrake's like, dude, I need that launch code. I like, we we needed it. The fate of the country's in here. And he's trying to make a call to the president. He's like, can you make it a collect call? And they're like, the, uh, the White House denied it. It's like, do you have a quarter? He's like, why would I have a quarter? I'm in the military. I'm here to siege a base. Why would I have a quarter? <laughs> so he like breaks open this Coke machine and um, the officer says something really funny, yeah, which again, it, oh good. Uh, he has the line. It's uh, uh, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this, but if you're wrong, you have to talk to one, you have to speak with one person, the Coca-Cola company. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, it's not me. You'll answer to it's the Coca-Cola company. And I, I, when we were watching that, I was like, man, that kind of aged bad. Yeah, yeah. Because of how we talk about big corporations now, that yeah. aged really bad. There's also, but uh, I, well, I'm sorry, Gordon, actually, I think it, I was just going to say, I think it actually aged really well. Yeah. That's still very relevant. Yeah. You still have to talk to the Coca-Cola company. Um, there was a joke that I did want to throw in there too. Um, before Ripper, um, goes into the bathroom and, uh, and kills himself. He's literally like still trying to talk to um to the British officer. He's like trying to talk to him into like his idea, his way of thinking. And he's like, now crawl over here and, and hold this belt for me <laughs> with the machine gun. Yeah. He's like feeding him this fucking machine. Gun Get over here and feed ball. me this belt. <laughs> um, So he gets through. Um, They're still trying to figure out the code. They get the code. And it works. They recall the planes, but there's one plane left that their communication system was damaged, and they're about to drop the bomb. 
probably one of the most iconic movie scenes ever. You have Sim, Slim Pickens gets dropped out. Major Kong, he's riding the nuclear bomb to the ground. He's got his hat off like a cowboy, ride to horse, screaming yeehaw as the bomb detonates. And we cut back to the war room. And this is when Dr. Strangelove's character is really introduced. Yeah. Because we only see him a couple of times. Yeah, maybe two or three times. Yeah, he doesn't really have much to say. He gives this huge speech about how they need to immediately start building a mine shaft. And he's like, he, we should uh, clarify this. Uh, Dr. Strangelove um, is an ex-Nazi that the U.S. recruited in the movie. So he starts talking about like selecting the right people with the right qualities to be in these places and like having 10 women for every man. And they're like, Oh my God. And then we get to that point that shows, you know, we never learn. They're like, Mr. President, we can't allow a mine shaft gap with the Russians. The Russian ambassador starts with another secret camera taking pictures of the war room. They didn't learn anything. Bombs going off. And they're, the whole movie, there's this threat that um, the ambassador says that they have this doom machine. Yeah. And if, um, if Russia's attacked, they detonate the doom machine and the entire world is just, just nuclear bombs all over the world. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, right. So Strange Love's given this speech. He gets up. <laughs> yeah, he was he was confined to a wheelchair. He gets up. He's like, he addresses the president as the Fuhrer, yep. and he says, he announces that he can walk, and then we see a flash of light in one of the most bleak film endings of all time. We get a song called We'll Meet Again playing while we watch nuclear bombs being dropped all over the world, Yep, and then the credits roll. Very, uh, like the the meaning behind it all, um, <laughs> said Mike. Careful, don't lean back; you'll fall to your death. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm not even leaned back that much. It just looks like it because of the way this chair is. Well, you don't want to fall onto those city streets below. <laughs> oh, oh, I get what he's saying. <laughs> no, for, for audio listeners, I have a background uh, of a city over behind, like on overlaid onto my camera. Um, but yeah, the, the ending of this movie, um, I think is, it's very bleak, but it's also very relevant because, uh, it, it's been talked about a dozen times over now, but basically if, you know, we're at the point now in our, uh, in our world where if one bomb goes off, it's annihilation for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. This movie age really well and i did myself a horrible disservice i'm going to tell you right now the first time i watched this movie two weeks after russia invaded ukraine <laughs> why'd you do that two weeks i had panic attacks for days after i watched this movie I, i've seen it a couple of times since then i think i've logged it on my letterbox three or four times i've only had my letterbox for about a year and it's not affected me as much but right after that happened it scared me yeah that's how relevant and scary this film is to how we are. And it's funny as hell. Don't get me wrong. It's a comedy. It's funny. You laugh the whole time. The final three minutes of the movie will still leave you quiet. Yeah. Leave you there just sitting there thinking. 
about what we have. And I think that's what Kubrick really encapsulates so well in this movie is just how absurd it is that we have these things that we could use to wipe out the entire planet. Like we have all of these devices. It's, it's, it's funny when you think about it, we have all these weapons that could kill everybody on earth like that. Yeah. And we just have them. It It is, it is absurd. And I, I this film I think is insanely relevant and it, just so important yeah i i think it's um like i haven't seen oppenheimer yet but i feel like you get the same message but in a more dramatic tone from that film yeah no i can agree um i don't know is there anything else you want to talk about with this one uh i think we covered the majority of it i mean i wouldn't i do want to talk about it more but uh, i also do want to say that this is my second Kubrick film I've ever seen. I've seen uh, quite a few of them. There's only a few that I haven't. Um, there may be ones I've seen that I didn't know were were his, but I don't know. He's only got a. He's got like ten or eleven, I think. Like he's got. Um, most of them are you. You pretty much know, like The Shining. Yeah, uh, I've seen. I haven't seen The Shining, but I did watch. Um, of the movie it's Full gone jacket yeah Full metal jacket uh kubrick's made like three or four anti-war movies yeah Full metal jacket dr strange love paths of glory and i think there's some paths of glory is really good yeah uh, i just want to throw a quick shout out to paths of glory that one's not really a comedy but it is an anti-war movie uh, i recommend checking it out kirk douglas is really good in it uh, but in terms of Doctor Strangelove, we've—I um, don't know how much we've talked about Kubrick before on the podcast, but he is a perfectionist, and yeah. the everything about this movie just looks so good. I love the way the war room looks; it's so empty and massive, and I love how it's just completely dark on all the sides, but in the middle where it's lit. Yeah, and it's got and like the, the whole huge table with lights around the entire thing. Um, the set design is incredible. Yeah. Um, I had something. I lost it. Gone now. <laughs> no, you got to oh, bring it oh, back. It or... was Kubrick. It was Kubrick. But talking about, um, I can't remember who it was, but they worked on a Kubrick film and had to shoot a scene like 40 plus times. Scatman Crothers. Yeah. And then he did a, 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 a Clint Eastwood film. <laughs> um, yeah, he... He he did the uh the Kubrick movie and he cried because Kubrick made him do so many takes and Scatman Crothers wasn't really an actor he was a musician and uh, he was like please please you're killing me he went to work with Eastwood they did like uh, one or two takes and yeah, that was it notoriously like, Eastwood only like he only does one take or I don't think they ever really do that many reshoots ever so like when he no. just the he did one take and he's like all right on to the next one. <laughs> Yeah, the, Matt David tells this great story. He asks him, he's like, uh, can we do one more? And Eastwood goes, why? You want to waste everybody's time? Right. <laughs> I love it because uh, he's like, all right, let's wrap it up. We're moving on. And then he's like, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he cried again on Eastwood's set of relief because he thought it was going to be a similar experience. He almost quit acting altogether after doing The Shining. Yeah. Because Kubrick... He he is a perfectionist. He wants every one of his movies to just be perfect. Yeah. 
Uh, so, putting Doctor Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb on here, I'm gonna say S tier. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Is it above or below? Great dictator. What is your vote? They're both great. Uh, it's really hard to say which one is better than the other one. They each have their own strengths, and they're both still relevant uh, in regards to the message that they leave off at the end. I agree. I like Strange Love a little bit more. Okay. But I don't know. Yeah. That is tough. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's so hard to decide i'd say it's just uh, i i don't know i don't know um for our youtube listeners and spotify listeners leave us a comment tell us which one if you've seen them which one you think is better yeah great dictator dr strange love don't say mash no i'm kidding <laughs> let's do there these are pretty much equal we put dr strange love and great dictator uh, in S tier, we didn't put them in any specific order. For my personal one, I would put Strange Love above it, uh, but uh, but they're both one, so they're both so good that it's it's hard to really judge one way or the other. They are, and they're both very important, and and they do the same thing um, inherently. I mean, pretty much, but uh, a little bit differently, and um, it works for both of them in different ways. Yeah. So. We are on to our last film of the uh, of the podcast, "The Men Who Stare at Goats." This one is a very interesting film. Um, You're saying it lightly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me say that. Let me say interesting, but all the letters are capital. Just... So this is based on a. Um... <laughs> I like that you're just like, yeah. This is ba oh my. God. I got to talk. <laughs> it's based on a true story. Yeah, regrettably. About some U.S. government experiments trying to do Jedi mind tricks. Yeah, like they literally refer to them as Jedis. Yeah, and it was very strange because Ewan McGregor plays a fucking character in this movie, and he was telling this other character that he was a Jedi Knight. And I was like, <laughs> are you serious? Right? <laughs> I yeah this the men who stare at goats I'm gonna say it right now is ridiculous. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, we also have to talk about um the callback. So the way that the movie starts and how they call back at the end, we'll talk about the end in a in a minute. But the way that the movie starts is basically this this uh, army guy or military guy sitting in a chair. He's staring at the wall. He's just blank stare right at the wall. Stands up. Comes around the corner of the desk and he says, and just sprints into the wall, slams into it, falls onto the ground, and just the movie starts. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, I tried looking up and I was trying all of these different like articles and places, trying to figure out what parts of this are fabricated and which parts truth. And there are like a hundred different answers. Yeah. Because uh, we have like, there's conflicting stuff too, because it's like this one, like 
So the movie's going a lot of back and forth uh, through flashbacks and then, you know, what's presently happening in the story. And in all the flashbacks, there's a contradiction. Well, I don't know if it's a contradiction, but somebody like in the behind the scenes of the film talks about how everything that we see in the past actually happened. I don't know how much of that we can actually take as as fact. Yeah, it's 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 strange. Um, it stars George Clooney, Jeff Bridges, Ewan McGregor, Kevin Spacey. Um, I don't even know where to begin. I don't really either. It's interesting though, just because it is such a star-studded cast, such a strange movie, and somehow based on. A- yeah, so Ewan McGregor, like, he plays this reporter, and he's trying to get in contact with George Clooney, because George Clooney was a Jedi Knight uh, of the U.S. Army. A super soldier. His psychic abilities? Sure. <laughs> so, he, like, over the course of the movie, we get, like, the backstory for the Jedi and they're talking about like all the things that they could do and then putting like LSD and shit. Yeah. Basically Uh, they were hippies. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And they have like this whole thing where it's like, Oh yeah, we can like look at us at something, use intuition and figure out what it is basically. And it's like, I know that's, a major point in the film was um, George Clooney talking about how he stared at a goat until its heart stopped. Yeah. Uh, you have that one. And then they have one where, like, they give him a picture of somebody and then, like, be like, all right, tell us where they are. And then it's like, yeah, they're in, like, a swimming pool or something. I don't I don't know. They just They just use intuition and figure out where somebody is off of a picture of them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, uh, so I don't know. I I legitimately don't know how to talk about this movie. Uh, I I'm at a loss for words. I like I thought about this movie for another like day or two after we watched it, and I'm just like, huh? Like it's not bad. It's just so strange. Yeah, it's a very and that's coming of, from me. I like Eraserhead. We came off this movie and we were kind of talking about how like. You get, like, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas vibes from it. Yeah, a little bit. Because it's, like, it's very, you don't, there's an overarching story that you can make sense of, but the events that are happening do not add up, and they don't make sense. Yeah, like, at one point, what is, didn't they say that Kevin Spacey put a curse on George Clooney or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like he he says like he got uh discharged from the military and then like right as he was leaving Kevin Spacey's character like came up and like hooked him on the forehead or something. And then he's like, "Yeah, it's a touch of death." And he's like, "What?" <laughs> we even get Nick the... Offerman's in this too for like 2 minutes. <laughs> yeah. We even get the connection to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh cuz at the end of the film Jeff Bridges' character and uh, George Clooney's character get in a helicopter and they fly off and they're never seen again, almost like a almost like that uh, that lawyer. <laughs> oh, at the the fear, yeah, yeah, no, that's true. 
Maybe they went to the same place. Yeah. I, Hold on, we're going too deep. I'm trying to read to see what actually happened here. I can't find shit. Even the Wikipedia page is vague. Yep, so um, I think our recommendation for, for this movie is watch it for yourself, do your own research, come to your own Take conclusions. It with a grain of salt. Take all of it with a grain of salt and then become a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, I guess. I don't <laughs> think they even did anything, really. I suppose that it's is something too. that we can lean into, though, with the conspiracy theory, like how that's become more relevant in our modern day. Yeah, that's true. I See, here's the thing. People think the government, they'll be like, oh, man, the government's doing some weird psychic shit, and it's just George Clooney sitting in a chair staring at a goat yeah. until its heart explodes. Um, <laughs> uh, Rotten Tomatoes movie's got a 51% critic score. Uh, IMDb average rating of uh, 5.8 uh on cinema score it's got a C plus uh George Clooney's performance uh was pretty well received um apparently there was some kind of a uh no I'm not even going to read that cuz I don't understand this movie's so we- even the wikipedia article and the the other articles that I have up talking about the movie are hard to read yeah it's this movie is very very strange um i don't know what to say about it beyond uh watch it for yourself that's that's all i can tell you um yeah and believe this the audience score is lower than the than the critic score yeah, usually like an incoherent movie like this, like critics will be like, ah, I don't like it. But incoherence for audiences usually do what do like relatively well, depending because it can like resonate with some people. Um, or if it's so incoherent, it's ridiculous. It's yeah, so incoherent that it's kind of funny and you just don't know what to think. I don't know. So I can get a, a DVD of uh, Tropic Thunder on Amazon for three seventy four right now. If you want to cover that instead, yeah. Let's talk about. Let's time. just talk about uh, Tropic Thunder really quick. Uh, it's a I'll pause all it's timeless. The, time. <laughs> uh, the world use the world real quick. Yeah, little JoJo reference for y'all. <laughs> but yeah, the 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 men who stare at goats. It, it's funny. There are a lot of funny moments in the movie. It is just. Very strange, uh, very surreal. If you're not into that type of thing, I wouldn't recommend it. And for the war it takes place in, your notebook's out one last time. This one has scenes in Vietnam and Iraq. Yep. And, and modern uh, day. And for our callback to the, to the beginning of the film, we get Ewan McGregor sitting at his desk, staring at the wall blankly, standing up, then running into the wall and phasing through it, and then the credits roll. Which means Ewan McGregor is a Jedi. Or Harry Potter. One of the two. You think he ended up Harry going to Potter Hogwarts after that? Bad. Or whatever America's equivalent of Hogwarts is? I feel like he was too old. He had to go to like Hogwarts night school. <laughs> All right. So uh, let us plug this into the tier list. We should also talk about, uh, we didn't mention what we watched Dr. Strangelove and uh, the Menu Stare at Goats on. 
Oh, I don't think we even said what we watched Mash on. Mash, we watched the DVD. I have a yeah. DVD player on my PC. Yeah, he he. Wa- we watched the DVD that your grandfather left you. He did. He yeah. did. That's a fun fact. He did leave that for me. And then uh, we watched. Um, what did we watch? Doctor Strange a lot. I think you have that on on your. Yeah, I own Doctor Strangelove digitally. Uh, I think both of those movies might be streaming somewhere. No, Dar- uh, MASH you do have to rent or buy physically. Uh, Doctor Strangelove? Let me see if that's streaming anywhere. On Max. Okay. And then The Men Who Stare at Goats is the last one. Um, which that was on... Was that on? Uh, I uh, played the DVD of it. Okay. It is on Max. Gotcha. Yeah, it is on Max as well. Cool. So, those are all the platforms that if you guys want to check these movies out, you know, form your own opinion. I mean, uh, everything's on Max. His Great Dictator all, was on Max too. All, uh, no, Mash. I think was the one that you had to run or buy. One of the two oh, was okay. when you had to run or buy. Minister goes. I'm gonna go for a soft B on this one. Yeah, I can agree. Um, I don't think it, it's quite an A. It's not a bad movie by any means. It's just a little weird and kind of like I the humor's there. I like the humor in the movie. Um, it's just like a weird plot. That's all. No, I I can completely agree with you on that. Um, so yeah, those are the four war comedy films uh, that we watched. Uh, war is hell. War is bad. Uh, it's very nice to have these kind of movies. I think comedy could be a great reflection and a great way of dealing with something. Uh. Blazing Saddles is a great comedy addressing racism. Life of Brian is a great comedy uh, addressing religion. There, there are a lot of comedies that could be done very well to address serious topics, and uh, these films are examples of those. Uh, like I said, some of these, um, more specifically MASH, may not have aged very well, um, but its relevance is still felt, and some of its messages are still felt, and uh, especially with Doctor Strange Love and yep. the Great Dictator. Uh, both of those films and their messages uh, are very important, very relevant. Uh, it's been, what, 60, 84 years since The Great Dictator came out, and it is still extremely relevant. Yep. And it's been 60 years this year since Dr. Strangelove, where I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb came out. And it's, it's still very relevant. So uh, that's something I want to touch on. That is the power of great films, films that could stick around like that and have that staying power. And again, these are comedies. These are not dramas. These are not films that, uh, you know, are great period pieces or anything like that. Uh, these are comedies that are meant to carry the weight of those types of films. Yep. So I, uh, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap this one up? I don't think so. I think that's pretty much a pretty much the show. Yeah, that is pretty much the show. So, uh, for you guys coming up, we've got uh, Twilight Zone. We're covering the first half of season one. That episode will air in ten days. We're gonna take a little bit longer for that one just to make sure we get uh, plenty of time to watch. The, yep. I think it's like eighteen episodes, approximately. Uh, and then I think we've got one. Are there 31 days in January? No, 30. Are there 30, 30? No, there are 31. Oh, what? So we we have one more episode left in January that'll probably either come out the 28th or the 31st because of our uh, first one was delayed a little bit. 
When did they add an extra day to January? Did I miss the timeline jump? I maybe it's the Mandela effect. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so we'll we'll have another episode in January after that. Probably nothing too too heavy uh, for the month. But right, we'll, we'll we're aiming for what four a month or something like that. Uh, something like that. Three I think we're at aiming the most, for, or three? Yeah, three, three at the least. Three, three at, the, at least. the least. Yeah, I think it was three at the least, five at the most. You know, that's it. Three. We're doing one a month. That's <laughs> yeah, one a month. Oh my god. Uh, but yeah, so the Twilight Zone is gonna start up soon. Um, we're not gonna do that and then do another Twilight Zone after it. It'll kind of be like Attack on Titan. So we'll have our big project episode, and then the one after that will be um, just a one-off episode. And then the next one will be another part in the big project one. I anticipate we'll have at least 10 episodes covering the Twilight Zone, probably. Most likely. Just because we're chunking it up so much. So this is going to be a big project. It'll probably be like three or four months, about the same length as the Attack on Titan one. Um but yeah, I am looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to getting started with the prep for that. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. Be sure to join the Discord uh, if you haven't already to keep in contact with us. Ask us questions about the podcast, make suggestions, whatever it is you want to do on there. And uh, join us next time when we do a reading of uh, Blazing Saddles. Yes, <laughs> that is definitely what we're doing. Thank you all so much. You have a great night. Take care.